In this podcast, we will be discussing sensitive topics such as sexual assault. It's important to take care of yourself while listening. Some suggestions are listening while you are in a healthy headspace or knowing who you can reach out to if you become upset. Our 24-7 helpline for crisis calls based out of Central Florida is 407-500-HEAL. For the Florida State Sexual Helpline, call 888-956-7273. By contacting the national hotline at 1-800-656-4673, you can get support and learn about your local resources. There is always someone ready to help. Welcome to the Victim Service Center podcast. Here we sit down with professionals that serve survivors and victims of trauma or those who have experienced violence and have conversations about social issues. This week we are talking about how to take your power back after a sexual assault. My name is Hannah Jennerine, my pronouns are she, her, and I am the Education and Prevention Coordinator at the Victim Service Center. With me today, I have Diana Oakley. Diana, thank you so much for joining me today. Can you please share with our audience a little more about who you are and what you do? Yes, um, my name is Diana Oakley. My pronouns are she, her. I'm an inspirational speaker, a victim of sexual assault, and a member of the Victim Service Center's Speakers Bureau. Thank you for sharing, Diana. I'm so glad that you can be here to talk about your empowerment journey. Just to set the intention for this episode, Diana is a sexual assault survivor, and she is here, ready, and willing to share her growth and what her healing has looked like so far. So, Diana, would you like to share a little bit about your story? Sure, Hannah. Uh, When I was 17 years old, I was kidnapped and sexually assaulted by a stranger. I was riding my bicycle when I was struck from behind by a pickup truck. The man who hit me pretended it was an accident, and he told me he'd take me to the hospital. This happened in 1991, and there were no cell phones back then. There were no nearby houses, so I allowed him to help me into his truck. I fully believed he was going to take me to the hospital, but he didn't. Instead, he drove me to the woods where he raped me and tried to kill me. Luckily, I was able to get away and get to the police. And what happened to me was a pretty big deal in my small town, so it ended up being all over the news. Thankfully, he was arrested three days later after his wife turned him in. Wow. Okay, I've been talking for the listeners who are listening to the podcast episode right now. I've talked to Diana so many times, and every time she tells me her story, I'm always, like, shocked. So after the sexual assault happened, you said that you live in a very small town. So I'm assuming that it was portrayed all over the news, right? Yes. And what kind of attention did you receive from this? Were you glamorized for the assault? Like, after everyone kind of knew, like, okay, like, I know Diana Oakley, and I, wow, like, this happened to her. Did everyone want to be your friend? What was the consequence of this? Oh, well... Not so much at first. Um, at first, the attention I received was very unwanted. It seemed like everyone was staring at me. It seemed like everyone was talking about me. Nobody mm-hmm. knew what to say to me. They all just kind of kept their distance. But then um, after a while, I started receiving special treatment from like teachers and people in my community. I was allowed to skip an entire grade of school just so I could graduate early. 
and teachers were more lenient when it came to my grades and my behavior. Um, years later, after I published my book and started speaking out and helping people, it felt like some people began placing me on this imaginary pedestal. And I felt like I needed to be a certain person to keep them happy. I felt as if they needed me to always be happy and positive. And if I slipped off that pedestal or had a bad day, they treated me like a hypocrite or something. Like I'm a human being who experienced trauma and is trying to help others who've been through trauma. I'm not perfect. No one is. But in order to truly help people, you have to be willing to show your vulnerable side. Not all days are good and that's okay. Because if you pretend to always be happy and positive, it doesn't honestly portray your healing process to those you're trying to help. You mentioned that you had to act a certain way when you were around friends, teachers, family members. Can you talk more about this? Like, how did you have to act or how were you expected to act when you were around these people? Hmm. Well, that depends on which stage of my life we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like when I was younger and the trauma just happened, I feel like they expected me to act really sad all the time, and cry and be this fragile little thing that they had to watch what they said around me or I'd start crying. But I instead just pretended like nothing bothered me. Like mm-hmm. if somebody brought it up, I would brush it off and just be like, eh, it's no big deal, whatever. So. I guess after a while, people expected me just to, oh, she does, it doesn't even bother her. Like, she must be dealing with this really well. And then when I got older and I started talking about my trauma and helping people, I felt like I, everybody expected me to always be happy and say the right things. And people want, like, gravitated towards me because I noticed that people who, also experienced trauma, tended to gravitate toward me. And that made perfect sense to me. Mm -hmm. But I felt like I couldn't always be myself around them because if I was having a bad day, I wouldn't want them to see that I was having a bad day because I felt like I, I needed to be a certain, I needed to be strong for them. Right. And like, eventually, I feel like they thought just by hanging around me and just being with me that they would somehow be healed Mm. just from being around me but that's really not how it works because you can I know that the saying is you're only as good as the company you keep but like just hanging out with people that are on their healing journey and are doing better isn't going to make you better unless you do something to help yourself right so I love how you said that. And it was it's kind of like when these people that were gravitating towards you, they expected you in a sense to be their role model and take their pain and try to they wanted you to heal them for them, if that makes yeah, sense. And, and I wanted to. And yeah. you know, but you can you can only encourage somebody and show them where to go to get help. You can't you can't make them better. Only they can make themselves better. Right. And I think after a while, they they stop coming around mm-hmm. because they know, oh, 
I'm not going to just be better. I have to actually do something to make myself better. And that's the hard part. Like that's the, the biggest part is taking that first step and, and, and going to therapy or going to support groups and, or talking about it. Like that's the hardest part. And people, you know, they don't want to do that. That's, that's the work. That's the hard part. So this actually leads me to my next question, Diana. What would you say has been one of the biggest obstacles in your healing journey so far? Would you say that it has been taking the action, taking the steps to healing? Would you say that's had the biggest impact on you? The biggest obstacle for me would definitely have to be overcoming my fear of unsuppressing all of my emotions that I kept buried for so many years. That was the hardest part taking the necessary steps to start my healing process. It was very painful. It was scary. Like I had bottled everything up inside of me for so long that I had learned to live with it. Like I had learned how to keep my triggers at bay enough to live what I thought was a productive life. I was convinced that this was as good as it was going to get for me. But um, a part of me always longed for the day when I wouldn't have to pretend I was okay. And I would actually be okay. So um, in 2007, I decided to finally allow myself to release those emotions I'd been keeping to myself, and I decided to start writing them down. And uh, it was was not easy. Like I said earlier, you can want to be healed. You can want to be better. But the hardest part is taking those steps to actually be better. So I decided I was just going to write all my feelings down. And there were days I couldn't do it. And instead of writing, I'd just cry. But on the days I did feel well enough to write, I would. And it was a long process that took three years, but I'm glad I stuck with it because it's what started me on this amazing journey I'm on today. Once you started writing down your feelings, was it like a burden started lifting itself off your chest? How did that make you feel? When I first started writing, it did not feel like a burden being lifted. It felt more like just a burden. Mm. Um, I was allowing myself to express all of those negative emotions that I had been hiding for so long. And I knew it was going to be painful. And I made a promise to myself that no matter how painful it it was and how long it took me, I was still going to do it. And that's why it took three years because there were days when I just, I would open my little notebook, which I still have buried in a box somewhere. It's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I would open it and I would just write a couple words down and I would just end up crying. I just couldn't do it. It was very hard. Uh, probably like maybe a year into it, maybe less, it started to feel more like a burden being lifted than it was a burden. Like I started to finally feel better. Like the more I wrote, the easier the words came. I mean, starting the healing process is never easy because you're Mm -hmm. bringing everything that you've suppressed for so long Mm -hmm. back to the forefront of your mind where you don't want it. But if you know that going into it and you know, eventually it's going to be for the best. So I just kept doing it. Right. 
Diana, when you were sharing your story about what happened with you, you said that you were kidnapped from a random stranger. And usually that's not common because victims are typically assaulted when it comes to sexual assault by people who are close to them, people that they've known for a long time. And at the age of 17, I'm sure like after that happened to you, I'm sure you probably had trust issues. You didn't know when you saw a stranger, you didn't know like, okay, like, is this person going to harm me? How long did it take you before you were able to trust again? This is a, this is a tough question to answer because it's been 31 years since I was assaulted and I can definitely trust people. I wouldn't say I'm unable to trust, but I can say I'm still apprehensive towards people, strangers in particular. And I used to think that my inability to trust strangers meant I wasn't healing properly. But um, the world's a different place than it was when I was growing up. And, and we have to adapt to this new world. I don't think I will ever be able to fully trust strangers again, but I don't see that as a setback in my healing. I see it as a valuable lesson that I learned. I don't allow it to stop me from going places I want to go or stop me from meeting new people, but I'm always aware of my surroundings. I take precautions such as sharing my Uber trips with trusted friends, never leaving my drink unattended when I go out and keeping an eye on my friends when we're out to make sure they stay safe too. Like one of the many reasons why I love the VSC is because they educate people on how to protect themselves and how to be aware and vigilant. They teach people how to be active bystanders and what to do if you see something that doesn't seem right. And I think these are all very important things. I don't think that by not trusting strangers, it makes me less healed. I think it it's just the sad reality that our world is today and we just need to be vigilant. And that's why I'm so happy to be able to help the Victim Service Center in, in any way possible because they do so much for our community, so much more than people know. Are there still post-traumatic symptoms that you still experience to this day? I don't think so. Not Not nearly as bad as it was. I mean, there used to be so many, like I, I couldn't ride a bicycle. It took me 20 years to get back on a bicycle, but I, I've done that. And, um, and I used to like, when I see a pickup truck, I'd be traumatized. But nowadays when, when something happens to me, or I see something that would have triggered me in the past, it kind of, it just makes me smile because I think about how far I've come. And it just amazes me that they no longer affect me the way they used to. So I don't really think I, I have experienced those anymore today. Diana, you are not the same person you were 20 years ago, 10 years ago, or even one year ago. Can you explain how your life has transitioned from when you were sexually assaulted to now where you were empowered and speak so openly and freely about what happened? Oh, yeah, I've come so far. Uh, when it first happened, I was so traumatized, I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't even say words that sounded like rape. 
I was in 10th grade at the time. And I remember we were learning geometry. And every time the teacher said the word radius, I would cringe and it would bring the, the assault back to the forefront of my mind. If I was watching a movie with my friends or someone mentioned rape, or if it even touched lightly on the subject, I would storm out of the room. Or worse, I wouldn't leave the room because I would be too, I wouldn't want to draw attention to myself. So I'd sit there paralyzed, unable to move. Uh, I tried desperately to pretend like I was fine. I was constantly terrified that someone would try talking to me about it. Not talking about it was the best way to hide my emotions from everyone. But uh, over the years, every once in a while, someone would ask me, aren't you that girl who was kidnapped in 91? And all the shame and embarrassment would come flooding back. I do my best to dismiss them by saying something like, yeah, but I don't want to talk about it. And uh, as the years passed, I moved away from my hometown. So it became easier because no one knew who I was. But it was still very difficult especially when the anniversary of my assault came around. I remember in April of 2005, sitting on my couch for hours crying about how traumatized I still was, even after 14 years had passed. I still felt like that 17-year-old girl. I felt like a prisoner in my own mind. Nothing had changed within me, except I was better at hiding everything. I was married with three children, and none of them had any idea how much I was hurting. It wasn't long after that when I decided enough was enough. In 2007, I read a book called Lucky by Alice Siebold. Lucky is Alice's memoir about how she was sexually assaulted during her freshman year at college. This book changed me. This was the first time I had ever heard someone explain how being raped made them feel. And it was the first time in 16 years that I didn't feel completely alone. Alice's story is what inspired me to finally write down my own. I never expected anyone else to read it. I wrote it for myself just to get my feelings out of my own head. But when everything was said and done, my writing took on a life of its own. It became more than what I intended it to be. I ended up publishing it three years later, and today it's been utilized by universities and organizations to help others who are struggling with sexual trauma. In 2011, I moved to Florida with my family and connected with the VSC. Finding the VSC was unbelievable because I had never had an organization like this to help me through my trauma. They didn't exist back in 91. If the VSC, excuse me, if the VSC had been around when I needed it, who knows where I'd be today. But here it is and I need to let everyone know it exists. So I joined their Speakers Bureau and have been volunteering with them ever since. But I have to say the changing point for me was when I joined support groups for women who've experienced sexual trauma. Before I joined these groups, I always felt like I hadn't handled my trauma as well as I could have. But when I began sharing my feelings and hearing other women share their feelings, it made me realize what I felt and how I dealt with it wasn't as usual as I once thought. We all had different stories, but we all had similar fears and phobias. We all dealt with our trauma differently, but at the same time, somewhat the same. And I finally realized that there is no right way to deal with trauma. There's no formula you can insert yourself into to get through it. The important thing is that we got through it together. 
And I later started facilitating my own support group and I did that until 2020. My transition is ongoing and I hope it never stops. I went from this terrified little girl who couldn't even say words that sounded like rape to an outspoken woman who wants everyone to know how far I've come because if I can do it, so can they. That's beautiful, Diana. Wow. So I do want to highlight one point in Diana's story as she's sharing her empowerment journey. She did not plan or even think that this was going to happen to her. Like she did not say, I'm going to be an inspirational speaker. I'm going to help people. I'm going to start this support group. It was a part of her evolution and how she transformed. And I do want to say like, Diana, your journey is so beautiful. And just seeing you like being able to speak so openly about it, it's it's amazing. What would you say has been the most impactful part of your journey so far? And what are your next steps? I think the most impactful part of my journey is knowing that my story encourages others to get help. Helping others come out of that dark place I was once in is the most rewarding achievement I can think of. I mean, 31 years ago, I could have never imagined myself talking with you right now about my assault. I thought that would have been impossible based on how I was feeling at that time. But I've come so far and I want others to know that they can too. My next steps, <laughs> in the past year, I started pursuing an old dream I had from before my assault. I've always enjoyed singing and I had dreams of becoming a performer one day, but things happen and dreams fade. But I'm excited to say I am following through with that dream. I am singing again. My boyfriend and I started a duo this year and we play all throughout Central Florida. We're called Destined for Infamy and you can find us on Facebook. I think that it would be awesome if somehow I could combine my two passions together someday, but I'm not sure what that would look like. But I do look forward to seeing how I will continue to transition in the future. As am I, Diana, as am I. If there is one thing that you could tell your younger self after the assault, what would it be and why? I would probably tell myself, I know you're hurting now, but there will be a day when you won't feel this way, when you will take everything you're feeling right now and use it to help people. This is what I would say, but would I have listened? Probably not. At the time, I was too angry. I didn't want to hear that someday I would feel better. I wanted to feel better right now. When someone's deep in the middle of trauma, they don't want to hear how someday this will all make sense. We're angry that this happened to us. We're confused about our emotions. We think no one understands what we're going through. Recovering from trauma is a process, and everyone goes through that process differently. But please, if you know someone who is currently going through trauma, don't give up on them if they don't respond to you. Keep encouraging them. Keep checking on them because they see you, and your kindness does not go unnoticed. Diana, thank you for sharing that. My last question for you today is, for our audience members, if there is someone out there who is listening to this podcast and they are also a victim and a survivor of sexual assault, what is one piece of advice that you would give to them? I would say that it doesn't 
matter how long ago your trauma happened. It's never too late to get help. Never give up on yourself because I always thought that I would never be able to be here right now talking so openly about my trauma, but here I am. And it's only possible because I finally dealt with my pain. I recommend you call the Victim Service Center hotline. You can call it any time of the day. It can be anonymous. It can be confidential. It's, it will be confidential. And it's a good starting point. But if you are not ready to talk like I was, I recommend you start writing down your feelings. Just start writing down anything, even if it's just song lyrics. Song lyrics are very powerful. And just thoughts and whatever creeps into your head. But start that process. That is the hardest part is to take that first step. And I just want to encourage them to do that. Thank you so much, Diana, for sharing. This was wonderful. Thank you for being a guest. And once again, I know I keep saying thank you, but thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Anna. The Victim Service Center is a nonprofit organization that provides free confidential counseling services for victims of any kind of trauma in Central Florida. The views and opinions expressed by podcast participants are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the Victim Service Center of Central Florida. This podcast content is made available for informational and educational purposes, and the VSC does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy or completeness of the content. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of error. To learn more about our services, please visit victimservicecenter.org. And to everyone listening, healing is not linear and you are not alone.